In the name of God, creator, redeemer, and giver of life. Amen. Good morning. Great to see you all. And welcome to yet another celebration, our annual celebration of Christ the King Sunday. Yes, Christ the King, which means that today is the last Sunday of the church year, which means get out your Advent candles and your crushes and ornaments, because next week Advent starts up. But today is Christ the King, by the wisdom of our mother church, or as some churches now call it, the reign of Christ Sunday. They call it the reign of Christ because, you know, for good reasons, they'd rather not be found celebrating kingship. Thank you very much. They want us to focus not so much on the kingship of Christ, but rather on the fact that Christ reigns. Christ is the alpha and the omega, the be-all and the end-all, the ultimate ruler of our lives. Just don't call him king. And that's the problem, of course. What else do you call an ultimate ruler with absolute power? You know? What's a better word for Christ? Dictator doesn't seem quite right. <laughs> President doesn't quite make it. CEO, no. I struggle with this myself. Of course, kingship is this archaic concept, especially in a country that got its start by throwing off its kings. But even now, nearly 250 years since democracy was established in America, it's still difficult to excise this concept of kingship of Christ. Because he does rule. He is the ultimate authority for us. He is at the top of the totem pole. But it's not really a pole, is it? It's a cross. Which is the point, I think, why we find this surprising gospel story read out loud this Sunday, a gospel that feels more appropriate for Holy Week than for the Sunday before Thanksgiving. But there it is, Jesus on the cross, hanging in naked humiliation, surrounded by criminals, scoffed at and derided. However he comes to be king, whatever that means to us, his authority is established by humiliation. He's exalted through degradation. His crown is not a big, solid gold thing decorated with jewels, but a filthy, bloody crown of thorns. So we come to this great paradox that lies at the heart of Christ the King Sunday, which is actually the church's way of teaching us once again that the meaning of life is paradoxical. The heart of our faith is born in contradiction and paradox. Our weakness is our strength, says Paul. The last shall be first, says Jesus. The way to glory is the way of the cross. The way of wisdom is the path of foolishness. Christianity is nothing if not a gorgeous collection of paradoxes. Today there's an alarming number of gun-toting, self-identified Christians who apparently never got that memo. 
When they talk about Christ the King, they hear, they hear nothing paradoxical whatsoever. Christ is King. We're talking about glory here. Christ coming on clouds of thunder, riding a white stallion, wearing a suit of armor, power and might, shock and awe. There's no weakness in their Christ. There's no room for humiliation or shame or failure in their lives as that gun-toting congresswoman from Colorado loves to say, if Jesus were alive today, he'd be carrying an AK-47. It's talk like that, no doubt, that inspired the gunman who just last night in Colorado Springs opened fire at a gay nightclub and killed five people. Christ the King Sunday is actually one of our newest traditions. It's less than 100 years old, uh, instituted by Pope Pius XI in 1925. At that time, the world was only beginning to recover from the gruesome catastrophe of World War I. Millions of soldiers who witnessed the horrors of trench warfare were dismissing their faith in God altogether. Meanwhile, over the previous four years, a number of royal houses had collapsed, including the Romanovs, the Habsburgs, and the Ottoman Empire. And modern dictatorships were beginning to emerge in Russia and in Italy, premonitions of the fascism that would soon sweep through Germany and all of Europe. To Pope Pius, the emphasis was not on Christ the King, but rather on Christ the King. He wasn't trying to reduce Jesus to the image of a worldly dictator. He was trying to elevate our allegiance to Christ as our King. It's not Stalin, he's trying to say. It's not Mussolini. It's Jesus, please. Of course, this is exactly the sentiment that led, led to the birth of Christianity in the first place. This church is founded on the martyrs who chose to go to their deaths rather than worship Caesar as king. For them, the sign that Pilate hung over Christ on the cross said it all. This is our king, the one who is conquered through sacrificial love, not by weapons. This one, Jesus, who greeted even his own death with words of love and forgiveness. This one, who would rather die on a cross than pick up arms against another human being. Seen in that light, Christ the King is a worthy reminder to us, right? Just as in 1925, there are powerful forces at work today, actively working to establish dictatorships over democracies. They work toward the violent seizure of power rather than any Christ-like displays of sacrificial love. And just as our ancestors chose Christ on the cross over the emperor in Rome, we are called to the same proclamation. It is Christ who reigns, not Putin, for example, or any of his American admirers. You know, we inherited a lot of images of Jesus from the medieval and the Byzantine eras that happily outfitted Jesus in the regalia of emperor and king. Christ vested with earthly, military, violent power. 
those images were created by people who didn't know any better. They had no conception of democracy. They had never lived in a time when they weren't ruled by one kind of strong man or another. So of course for them, it was revolutionary to dress Jesus up in regal regalia. But in my opinion, the time has come for us to throw off the trappings of imperial autocratic rule, period. Just as our patriotic forebears threw off the tyranny of King George, maybe it's time for us to have a Boston Tea Party for the church and throw off all the trappings of royalty and empire. Because Jesus never had a gun collection. Jesus never attacked the Roman Empire with swords and clubs and mobs of protesters. He defeated the powerful by giving away power. He attacked the hateful by loving them. He pronounced judgment in words of forgiveness. He conquered death by embracing death. He won eternal life by giving away his claim on life. This is how he came to rule our hearts. So do we really need to call him king? Someone recently asked me, if Christ were to come back today, what form do you think he or she would come in? And as I considered my answer, I didn't think of a conquering judge sweeping down from on high. Instead, I thought of this one elderly lady who was a member of my congregation in Santa Rosa, California years ago. She lived in a trailer park on the poor side of town. She had more things going wrong with her body than most of us can ever imagine, including severe diabetes and rheumatoid arthritis. She lived in constant and severe pain. She had no family. And yet, whenever she opened her mouth to speak, she had almost nothing to say but thank you. She didn't bother to hide the pain or distress that she was in. She was honest about her many maladies, but she could barely speak without words of gratitude and blessing just tumbling out. And I can't tell you how confusing that was for me. She just made me feel so inadequate. You know? Because there I was, this relatively young and prosperous and pain-free priest, seemingly in control of my life, bringing communion to a woman whose arthritis was so bad it took her an hour just to get dressed in the morning. And she never complained. Meanwhile, if, if there was just a line at Starbucks that morning, I'd be complaining. <laughs> I remember talking about this at the time with a prayer group I was in, and I said, what am I doing pretending to be her minister? Who am I to be leading this woman in prayer as if I'm the one who has some kind of wisdom to offer her? And of course, no sooner did those words leave my lips when I saw the blessing in it, because at the heart of it, of course, love is never about being the answer man. It's not about fixing people. 
It's about how we bring ourselves, ordinary and broken selves, flawed selves, into presence and relationship. It's about how, as my brokenness meets your brokenness, a divine connection of healing and love is born. It's not about worthiness or competence or expertise or intelligence. It's about showing up in our poverty. It's about letting go of trying to be impressive. It's about being open to the fact that Christ is found where we least expect him, including in the broken body of a solitary, desperately poor woman living on the edge of an unimpressive city in Northern California. So when I was asked what form Christ would return in, I said, who's to say Christ hasn't come back a thousand, a million times? And we've been no more conscious of him or her than we are of the political prisoners languishing in dungeons in Iran and China, or of the humble nuns and monks living in the mountains of Tibet or of the mothers all over the world living in shacks with dirt floors, feeding their children meager bits of rice or corn that they've managed to collect while they go without. What makes us think Christ isn't living on the streets of Portland right now, sleeping in a tent, shivering in the cold, helping out as best he can with whatever he has at hand? Christ is alive, of course, inside each one of us, not as a king or a queen, but as our truest self, calling us into love. In our anger and our rage, when we see the injustices of the world, our truest self opens us to the love of the world that makes that anger come alive for us when we sometimes feel swamped by wounds of personal trauma, our truest self opens us to the knowledge of that deeper place where we are fully healed. In the self-judgments that we have internalized, Christ frees us to see ourselves through his eyes as gorgeous embodiments of love. So, Christ the king? Well, if I'm forced to choose between Christ as king or any of the would-be dictators who are currently clamoring for power, sure, I'll choose Christ. But I'd still much prefer a Sunday dedicated to Christ the mother, Christ the dispossessed, Christ the lover of souls who reigns in our hearts. Whatever you choose, I pray that you find the peace of Christ, which passes all understanding and keeps us in the knowledge and love of God. May it be so. Amen.